a song's got a beautiful melody line to it, doesn't it? It's real. It's just an easy song to sing, you know, and uh, it's enjoyable to sing. All right, got a test for you. Anybody know what book we've been in for the last several weeks and Wednesday nights? Philippians. Good job. All right. All right. Good job. Good job. Anybody remember how many commands are in Philippians 1 through 9? Hi, John Miles. Man, he's listening. All right. Philippians chapter number 4 tonight. And uh, we'll be looking here at one of the verses from verses one through from verses one through nine that do not have a command. That do not have a command. Verse number one does not have a command, and verse number seven does not have a command. The other ones do. In fact, some of them have two. Verse number um, six has two, and verse number four has two. Um, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The, the words rejoice, rejoice are two commands right there. Uh, same command, but nonetheless two of them in a row. And then verse number six, there's two commands, but they're not the same. The first command is to be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. Uh, but rather, he says, by everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known unto God. So the, the, the command is, let your requests be made known unto God. Instead of worrying about something, then pray about something. Amen? That's the, that's the, that's the Christian's motto. That's why, we, that's why as Christians we pray. I don't know if you've really analyzed that a lot. Uh, but in analyzing and thinking about some of these things, um, why do we say uh, pray for so-and-so? Uh, we do that as a substitute for worry. Instead of worrying about something, rather than worrying about it, we say pray about it. Or pray for me about it. Pray for this situation. I don't want to worry about it. Um, instead, uh, we want to pray about it. We want to put it in God's hands. Um, and so, in verse number 6 it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And we looked at that uh, the last time that we're in the book of Philippians. I believe that was the last sermon of the year uh, of 2022 on a Wednesday night, and we saw that we do not, we need to be careful for nothing. Uh, now, we discussed that and saw that that does not mean that you're not careful, all right? That is not what the word means. It means don't be anxious. Uh, don't have an anxiety, don't have an anxiety-filled heart. But in strong contrast, he is saying there in verse number 6, in strong contrast to this, rather do this, give in everything, and everything by prayer um, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known unto God. This is an order of prayer. Prayer means worship. That's what the word prayer means. It is the word, the idea of falling down before. Uh, that is that word prayer when you find it in your in the Word of God. It means to worship God, 
to praise God, to lift up God, um, is the word prayer there. And sometimes we say, pray for me, um, and we don't understand what we mean by that. But really, when you pull it down, the real root word is to worship, is what it means. And so when we pray to God, we are worshiping God. We are lifting Him up. Uh, and it is really, I believe, one of the most faithful acts that we can do. Uh, it is, as a Christian, one of the most faithful acts that we can do because it demonstrates faith. It is the most faithful thing that you can do because it demonstrates that you're speaking to somebody that you have never seen, that you cannot see, see, you cannot feel, you cannot touch, you cannot necessarily hear him. And so it is a faithful act of worship to God. And then supplication, that's what we did tonight. Uh, When Doug prayed for those that were sick and not doing well and for other needs, uh, he was supplicating for them. Uh, He was supplying for them. He was supplying their need to God is what he was doing. He's asking God for supply, for help, for administration administration in these matters. Because only God is the true healer and helper in all things. And then never forget thanksgiving whenever you pray. Amen? Uh, We always want to give God thanks. Usually uh, if you're praying formally, uh, you might say at the beginning and at the end. Uh, you always want to. You always want to begin with Thanksgiving and end with Thanksgiving. I say formally because sometimes our prayers, when we pray by ourselves, are obviously very informal to God. Uh, but we want to make sure that we always are giving God the thanks. These are good bookends, you might say, in prayer. And then let your request be made known unto God. Uh, let Him know what your requests are. Give Him. Uh, the, make sure you talk to him about these things. Take your Bibles over to the, the, uh, the epistle of James, the epistle of James chapter number 4, and notice the great contrast here to what James says and what uh, Paul is saying. James chapter number 4 in verse number 1, what does he say here? He says, from whence come wars and fightings from among you, if you were looking for a direct contrast in passages, you would find that James 4, 1 through 4 is in direct contrast to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Uh, We're talking about peace of God that passes all understanding. In verse number 1, he says, from whence come wars and fightings from among you. War is the direct opposite of peace, is it not? And so he says in verse number 1, Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So these passages, you might say, are parallel passages, but they're parallel in the sense that they're complete opposites. Uh, in, verse, in Philippians 4, we're talking about, hey, make sure you give your request to God. In James chapter number 4, he's saying, you're not giving anything to God. You're not ever talking to God. You're never even asking God for anything. You're trying to get everything on your own and do everything by yourself. And it's, it's all about your lust. And when you do ask, you ask you're asking amiss. You're asking wrongly. Uh, because uh, you're asking that you might enjoy it. Enjoy upon your own lust. And consume it. 
It's all about you and your prayer. You see the great difference in what we're saying and what James is saying and what Paul is saying? Let your requests be known unto God. Bring everything before God in what? Prayer, worship. Whereas James chapter 4 is saying that you're worshiping yourself. You're, you want to consume it upon your own lust. You think of Jesus Christ whenever he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And what did he pray? He said, not my will, but thine be done. Did he not? So he wasn't praying for his will. He wasn't wanting to consume upon his own lust. He didn't, he didn't have that in him. But, but he was praying for God's will. He was worshiping. All right? And we need to be like that too. We need to be saying, God, not my will, but thine be done. So that brings us to verse number 7. And the peace of God, when this transpires in our hearts and our lives, he's given a cause and an effect, if you will. Whenever you're uh, learning to not be anxious about everything in life, and you're learning to stop worrying, because these are traits as Christians, right? Amen? Philippians 4, uh, verses 1 through 9, these are nine commandments to believers, all right? This is not a exhortation to unbelievers, to people outside the church of God. This is an exhortation to the church. And as a trait of a believer, our life is supposed to be a life that is one that is free, or at least working towards being free of anxiety and worry. That is where we're going toward. That's where we're trying to be stamped into the image of God, right? And we're constantly being stamped into that image. I think of ourselves a lot like, um, like you think of a blacksmith and a piece of steel. He heats the steel up. It's a big chunk of really nothingness, right? You know, you, you've seen people that do this. Um, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that I've watched Forged in Fire a few times. It's a fun show. Uh, they, they, that's a guy show. You know, Kara said, so we were watching it one night. She said, this is a guy show, you know, uh, making swords and axes and all those kinds of things. And, uh, but what's amazing about that is, is this, is that they take this hunk of metal that is in the shape of nothing, a cylinder or maybe a, squ uh, some kind of cube. And they, they beat and they pound and they heat and they, but what are they doing? They're beating that out. All right. Does one hit of the hammer make the steel into what it needs to be? No, it doesn't. And so it is with our lives. You say, I still struggle with worry, all right? Or I still struggle with put, it in the, put, put, it, put something in the blank, all right? Yeah, you might still struggle with it, but hopefully it's been, as if you've been saved for a little while, that God's been taking the hammer and he's been heating you up a little bit, trying to get the impurities out, and he's molding you. He's making you. One hit is not going to take away the anxiety, all right? But several hits should be taking away more anxiety all the time, more worry, because you're learning on how to deal with worry and anxiety. You're learning what to do. You're learning to say, you know what? I need to pray about that. I need to have others pray about that. I need to worship God. Um, and then he says that when, that begin, when this process begins to happen in our lives, in our hearts, what's going to happen? He said, at this moment, the peace of God 
which passeth all understanding shall begin to keep your hearts and minds through Jesus, through Christ Jesus. I supplemented, obviously, the word begin, but you're getting the idea here. Is that this peace is that passes all understanding is, is, is working in your heart. It's keeping your heart. It's watching over your heart and guarding your heart. So, what is the peace of God? What is this thing that transpires? What is this, if you will, abstract piece of knowledge? You know, how do you define peace? Anybody want to take a stab at that? I mean, just a word. Anybody can think of a word? What is, what, what do you, or a couple of words? You might say, what is peace, James? Yeah, amen. Calmness in the storm around you. Anybody else? Phrase, just a thought. Contentment. Contentment. Rest. At ease. ease. Mm Mm-hmm. What is peace? Might even say the what is peace of God, but. We're just thinking about peace in general. Those are all great definitions. I think all of those fit within what the peace of God wants us to be like. Um, The world would define peace in many languages. I found it very interesting. A lot of languages define peace simply as a state of tranquility or quietness. Um, Another way to define it, as we might think of peace as freedom from civil disturbance. Peace and order were finally restored in the town. Um, a, a, a civil disturbance has risen up, so it's a freedom from that. Um, it's also defined as a state of security or order within a community provided by law or custom. So laws give peace, right? Uh, they don't let things turn into martial law. Uh, so uh, there's not anarchy. Uh, So laws and customs provide peace and provide peaceful situations. But in Philippians 4, 7, um, but I found this interesting. I should say, let me say this too, that the world, if if you do some reading on this, really the world's definition of what peace is, is absence from trouble. That's, that's what peace is. Peace is absence from trouble. Um, but we know as Christians that there's never going to be a time like that on the face of the earth as long as Jesus is not ruling and reigning. You know? In fact, we might, if we think of it that way, then that last definition really fits in well when Jesus is ruling and reigning, right? A state of security or order within a community provided by law or custom, you know? There's going to be peace on the earth because by law and custom, by Jesus Christ the Lord, he is going to be setting up and ruling with a rod of iron. So there's going to be peace on the earth and it'll be maintained by him. But absence from trouble, do you think that's what peace is? Obviously, we wouldn't think that would be what the peace of God is. Because how do you get two guys like Paul and Silas singing in jail after being beaten, you know, that's not absence from trouble. Obviously not. 
How do you get Paul praying and gathering everybody together while the ship is about to be sunk, you know? And praying with one another. Uh, there was an absence from trouble there. In fact, Philippians chapter number, Philippians was actually uh, written from where? Prison. And what is the most used word, uh, or most I mean, recognizable word in the whole entire epistle? Rejoice, or joy. So obviously peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is much more than that. In Philippians 4, 7 we read, that the peace of God passeth all understanding. Now, how is that, how is it, you know, I was thinking about this, but how is it that something that we cannot understand, let alone something that, as some would call it, metaphysical, something that is non-substantive, give, give us peace or guard our minds and our hearts? And I think that's a great question. I mean, how does that work out? What does that look like? Now, at the beginning, uh, just upon first glance of the verse, verse number seven, in the peace of God which passes all understanding, I think you look at it at first glance, it's like, well, I mean, Paul even tells us that we don't understand this peace, you know. But is that what he's saying? I don't believe it is. I think he's meaning something much greater and such, such, something much more than this. I don't believe that he's saying to us that this peace of God is unexplainable. I believe it is to some but I don't believe it is to believers. And these are questions that we need to answer and we need to talk about. Uh, I'm not under the impression that this text is saying that it's not a, able to be understood. Now before we really jump into some of these things, let me just tell you this, that the word peace or the subject of peace is a very vast subject in the Word of God. It's exactly mentioned 450 times. Exactly. So I didn't study every, all 450, all right, for the message tonight. All right, I'm sorry. I studied about 116 of them. I tried to do the ones in the New Testament. Uh, but it is a huge subject found throughout all the, all the New Testament. In fact, to the Jewish culture, um, peace is even a great word. It's the word what? Anybody know? Shalom. Yeah. Uh, peace be unto you. Uh, which means, it doesn't really mean what we think. It doesn't mean may your life not have troubles. That's not really what it means. It's really a, it's really a shalom is just a, it's a way of blessing somebody and saying may your life be blessed is the idea there. Jesus even says it. He says peace be unto you. Uh, so the, it's the same idea uh, there. I also found it interesting that if you know anybody, any girl that's named Erin, E-R-I-N, that's her name means peace. That's what it, what it means. It's the, what the word means in our English language. Um, we find it 116 different times in the, the New Testament. Um, if you look in your New Testament, you'll find the word peace in 26 out of 27 of the New Testament books. Very interesting word. Found in almost every single book. Only 1 John does not contain the word peace. Thought it would. Doesn't mean that John didn't ever use it. He used it twice. 
in Second and Third John, and also twice in Revelation. So that brings me to another question: Are there different types of peace in God's Word? And I, there are. There's a lot of different types of peace. Uh, I just gave you an example: peace be unto you. All right, that's not the peace we're talking about. The hell or not? We're not talking about peace of God. When we're, you see Jesus saying, "Peace be unto you," He's saying, "May blessings be upon you." Is the idea there? Um, but there's other places in the Word of God that mean something different also. Uh, hold your peace. It means be quiet. Be quiet. In other places it means to be silent, to be at rest, uh, to make yourself dumb, to muzzle the mouth is the idea. So that's one, one way it's seen in the Word of God. It's also translated uh, some other ways in the Word of God. It's translated as peaceably or peaceable or peacemakers, like in Matthew 5, 9 when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Those words refer not so, ne- not so much necessarily to the peace that passes all understanding, but it talks about being a peaceable person, uh, making peace with others. In fact, the word peace is also used sometimes uh, just to mean that. Uh, make peace among yourselves is the idea. Uh, that we have peace with one another. But then there's the third one, and I do just want to briefly look into this one before. I didn't have you turn to the, any places in these, but I want you to turn to uh, Romans 5.1. It's probably the most famous one, but then I'll have you turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 20. Here is another example of the word peace in God's word that's used several different times. It's translated the exact same way. It's the exact same word. Uh, But the context is going to show you what he means by peace. And you always need to do that. Whenever you're reading your word, just always get in there and you see something. You say, what does he mean by that, you know? Uh, what is it, why is he using this word peace here in this particular instance? But Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, we have here, therefore being justified with God, by God, by, excuse me, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace. Can anybody read the next two words with me right there? With God. All right, there's a big difference because in Philippians 4, 7, what does it say? We have the peace, what? Of God. All right? So there is a big difference there, okay? Um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And before I explain that to you, what that means, maybe it might be better if you turn down to verse number 9 and 10, and you might get a good idea of what he means by peace with God. For he says, much more than being now justified by his blood. Remember, he had just said that in verse number 1. And it brings us back to this thought of peace. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So, before I say anything else, just go over to Colossians chapter number one, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter number two. And again, see this word peace used in the same light that is used in Romans chapter number five in verses number one, and also, as I explained, verse number nine and ten. But look here in Ephesians chapter number two and verse number fourteen. I'll have you go up to verse 13 to just grab a bit of context. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh, that is close, by the blood of Christ, 
For look what it says. For what? He is our what? Peace. Who hath broken down, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh, here it is that word again, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make himself of twain one new man, listen to it, so making what? Peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the what? Enmity thereby, and came and preached, there it is, peace to you which are far off and to them that were nigh. Those that are far off are Gentiles, those that are nigh are Jews, is what he's meaning there. The Jews had the laws, they had the commandments, they had the oracles of God. They should have known better. They were nigh to God. They were close to God in that sense. Uh, the Gentiles were far off because they did not have, uh, the word of God was not given unto them like it was given to the Jews. So Jesus says, or he's talking about Jesus, Paul is, he's saying he has come to preach peace. You were at enmity with God. Now take your Bibles to Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 20. Look what he says. He says, so he's speaking of Christ again, obviously. He says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by by him i say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven hebrews also lets us know that it's not just by the blood that we're reconciled and then we're brought in peace with god but also by the resurrection we're brought into peace with god so what does all this have to do with peace and peace with god what's the big deal uh, the big deal is this, is that in order to have this, re- if you want to remember anything, you remember this, in order to have the peace of God, you must have peace with God. There's no peace of God unless you have peace with God, because without the peace with God, then you're at what? Enmity. You're an enemy of God. And so this peace with God is like a peace treaty. It's like a, it's like, it's like when two nations are fighting and they're at odds with one another, yet they, have, they, 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 they sign a peace treaty, and now there is no longer a war, but something is even greater here. It's not just a peace treaty. We're not just not at war anymore with God as, as unbelievers, but now we've been brought nigh by the blood of God. Uh, we've been made friends with God, and more than that, we've been adopted into the family of God. So it's not like we're on two opposite sides of the world and we've decided we're not going to fight anymore with God. That's not it at all. God has brought us close to him by his blood and by the resurrection as Hebrews teaches us. So this peace that we have with God is only attainable by Jesus Christ. And once you have the peace with God, once you've been saved, born again by the blood of the Lamb... And his wonderful resurrection, then you can begin to have the peace of God. Make sense? So, but all that to be said, most of the time when you read the word peace in your New Testament, you're going to find out that it does coincide with Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 7. That the peace of God which passeth all understanding. You can see this is, I knew this was, I was going to dive into the, I wanted to get into this a little bit more uh, 
with this world. I just, I just thought, man, I, I don't know if I've ever really saw what all of this means. But take your Bibles back to Philippians chapter number four, or Philippians chapter number one, I should say. Now, Paul tells them in verse number six, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious for anything. All right. Why would he even tell them this? You know, why does this come up? Well, do they have anything to be worried about? And I would say that the church had ample things to be anxious over. Many things to worry about. Um, number one, I think one of the number one concerns that comes out in the epistle that is obvious, and it comes out, I believe, almost through the whole entire epistle is this, is that they were concerned or they had a chance, you might say, to be worried and anxious over Paul's wealth and, or Paul's health and well-being. They were worried about this. This is apparent in the next section that you find in Philippians chapter number 4, wherever they talk about, uh, sent, he talks about they sent gifts to him, how they were worried, how they were wanting to help him. Um, and even Paul gives them those endearing words in verse number 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul is uh, writing to them and just, and is thankful for their concern for them. But they were really, I think, honestly and genuinely concerned for the Apostle Paul. Look at chapter number 1 in verses number 12 and verse number 13. Uh, he says here in verse number 12, But I would ye should understand, brethren. Okay? What is he doing there? He's trying to relieve their ease. He's trying to relieve their worries. What he's, I want you to understand something, Okay? That the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. You see what he's doing there? They're worried about him. This is their spiritual father. And I don't know that the, that the Philippian people were actually anxious people. I mean, usually when you're dealing with somebody that's very anxious and very worried and very much on pins and needles sometimes, you're usually a lot more gracious and careful with your language, aren't you? I mean, you don't just like blow up on somebody like that because, I mean, they might have a nervous breakdown. You know what I mean? You're trying to, you're trying to deal with somebody like that with kid gloves a little bit. I, I don't know. I can't say this for sure. But it does seem very interesting to me that the whole entire epistle is very loving, caring, endearing. The whole epistle is. Now, I, they, were, they were loving, caring, endearing people too, um, no doubt. But they had some worries. They had some things to be concerned about. And so he tells them here, I want you to understand something. You know, if you will, don't worry about me. I'm in prison, yes. But what's happened to me has actually furthered the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? He's trying to get them to understand something that they might be even worried, okay, is he okay? Is he well? I mean, they're writing three or four letters to figure out what's going on with him. They sent, an, they sent an ambassador, Epaphroditus, to go check on him. They also might be worried, is the gospel going to still be preached? Even Paul's in prison. And he's like, yes, it is. It's going out farther than what it, I could have ever gotten it to. Uh, because I am in bonds. 
Because he says here, so that my bonds in Christ, and he tells us one of the ways in which he does, he only demonstrates one example, but he says it's manifest in all the palace. He only gives us one demonstration, but then he also includes, and in all other places. We don't know what, the, what that means. Uh, but the gospel would have never gotten into the palace of Caesar had not Paul been put in prison. It makes me wonder, the Bible doesn't record it for us, but God told Paul that he would preach before kings and governors. All right? He only in the Bible preaches before one king, King Agrippa. Is the Bible inerrant and infallible? Should we believe that he preached to kings, plural? I I don't have it. He says that he had already made one appeal to Caesar. Do you think that Paul just made an appeal to Caesar and didn't preach the gospel to him? I doubt it. That kind of gives me cold chills to think about. I mean, I, mean, he, I, I, don't, I don't doubt that he preached the gospel. He obviously did. So they had worried for that. Uh, they were also concerned with how others were treating Paul wrongly. Because look in verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They had that to be worried about. Uh, they had the, wor- the, the reputation of Paul to be worried. They loved this man. There's no indication in the letter anywhere that there's a, any faction at all in the church uh, for uh, Paul's apostleship like it is in some other of the other epistles. There's no faction in this church. They love the apostle, all right? Uh, they had good cause to be worried about their own safety. Okay, our leader is a- arrested and thrown in prison and beaten, all right? What happens to the leader's followers, right? Well, Paul answers that question for them in verse number 28. For he says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you sought in me and now here to be in me. Are you seeing why that maybe Paul says, don't be worried, right? Don't be worried about me. Don't be about what people are saying about me. Uh, don't be worried about what's going to happen to you. Don't be terrified by your adversaries. For when you're not, what he says there, he says, when you're not terrified by your adversaries, that is an evident token of perdition or destruction upon them. When you sit there and guess what? What? Peace. When you have peace, even though your adversaries are mocking you and you're scourging you and hurting you, guess what? He says, that is an evident token of perdition upon them. But to you, it is an evident token of what? Salvation. Salvation. That God has saved you. And then he says that suffering has been given to you. He said, you see the same com- you see the conflict in me? He said, that same conflict's going to come upon you. So yeah, they had some things to be worried about. Uh, look at chapter 2 and verse number 26. Here they were worried about another believer, Epaphroditus. They were worried and concerned about his health. 
Look at verse 26. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. So they were worried about Epaphroditus' health. They were concerned about that. I find it kind of humorous here in this text. I've always found this a little, a little humorous that they were so concerned about his, they were so worried and concerned about Epaphroditus' health that Epaphroditus started worrying about their health because they were worried about his health. I mean, Epaphroditus says in verse number 26, he was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. So uh, they were worried about their friend their ambassador that they had sent. Uh, They had cause to be worried about in verse number 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not to me, indeed not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit. Uh, They had a reason and a cause to be worried and to be anxious about false teachers. Um. Understand that in the early days of the church, it was not like it would have been here um, in, our, in our assembly, all right? We kind of know and we have an idea of who's here. And, uh, but in those days, they would have operated probably somewhat in the same, not exactly, but somewhat in the same way that a Jewish synagogue might have, might have been. So if somebody comes in, a new person, they come in, they've got a word to say. And they begin to persuade the people. Now, we obviously, that's not something we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that kind of thing today. That's why you find it kind of interesting. You might always thought, why, why did he do that? Uh, why did Jesus read? Remember that time he was in the synagogue and he reads? For, that's because they would pass the Torah around and he was his turn. He was going to read the Torah. And he opened it up to that, not the Torah, but he opened up the, that's the first five books of the Bible. Uh, but he opened up the book of Isaiah. That was given to him. That was given to him. I think that was given to him, obviously, by the sovereign hand of God and the providence of God. But then Jesus purposefully turns to that passage that proclaims himself. It says, this day, this is a scripture been fulfilled in your eyes. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't, that's not our method. Um, so false teachers would have been something to be concerned about. And then finally, uh, they had good cause to be worried and concerned about those that had left the church. For in verse number 18 of chapter number 3, the Bible says this, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Um, and then just the, and then all, this, all the other common worries, right? All, you know, worried about health, worried about, uh, worried about your finances, uh, worried about uh, what's going on in your life, what are you going to do next, uh, worried about your spiritual well-being, worried about, um, uh, you know, your mom or your dad who's not doing it. So there was all those things about, to be worried about too. So this church had a lot to be concerned about, right? So it's no wonder that he write to them, make sure, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Whenever you take the 
cares of this world and you transfer them to God in what we call prayer, what the Bible speaks of as prayer, then God wants to administer us peace. Peace. Now, you don't get all the peace of God when you get saved. When you get saved, you don't get all the peace of God. You know how I know that? Because the scriptures teach us, Peter says it twice. He says, may the peace of God be multiplied in your heart and life. So you don't get it all when you get saved. There is a multiplication of peace that God is wanting to transpire in your heart. That's why this verse is so good for us to understand, for us to take in the worries and cares of this world and to think about them and then to translate them back to God. Give them back to Him. Let Him have them. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. What does He say? He says, um, uh, come and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So take your burden off and give it to me and take my burden upon you, He tells them. Casting all your what? Care upon him. For what? He careth for you. That's a great verse of peace. That's exactly what he's saying here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That we do that. Be anxious for nothing. My time has run out because I don't have time to get into this peace of substance or is it spiritual and is the peace of God unexplainable and uh, several other aspects that I want to talk about with the peace of God. But I think it would be just wise for us to close here tonight. And just to close with this one thought here this evening, that we be careful for nothing. That we truly learn what prayer is. That when we took up prayer requests here tonight, what were we doing? We were taking prayer requests and we were praying instead of worrying. Instead of worrying. That's what we have done. And I just think that this Philippians 4, 6, and 7 just shows to us that as Christians we've changed. That we're different from the world. We're different from other people. Right? Because we don't bottle up. You know, what's amazing to me, and, and I don't know everybody's motives or intentions behind this. But... Um, and I, I, was, I debated on even saying something about this, but I think, it, I think it would just maybe solidify some things in our minds and our hearts right now. But I don't know if anybody, if you watch football or anything, but the young man that was hit, and uh, I don't even think, the, I don't know what happened there, but anyhow, he had cardiac arrest, and uh, uh, he, was, he, was, he had uh, several minutes of CPR and everything. Uh, but I thought something, I just wanted to draw out one little thing from that. Is that I found it very interesting that everybody was saying, you know, our prayers for him, our thoughts for him, our thoughts and prayers for him. Pray for DeMar Hamlin, to pray for him. Uh, I think even uh, one uh, ESPN announcer prayed on live television uh, to, uh, to, to the Lord and uh, for, for DeMar. And, uh, you know, I don't know what everybody's intentions are with that. I don't even know what everybody, if they know what they mean when they say that, okay? But I do think that it shows to me, at least, that there is in our country at least some small 
glimpse that people still say, you know what, we, if there's a problem, we need to pray about this, you know? And whether those people are saved or, or, or not, or that's not the issue. I'm not trying to bring that up or anything. This, that, that there is this innate sense in people. We've been taught enough Christianity to be, to be dangerous, <laughs> you know, in, some, in a lot of cases. But there's also been enough taught that people know we've got to, we've got to call on somebody else for this, you know. And we boldly, obviously, would say we need to call on Christ. Amen? And call on the Lord. Call on God. Uh, ask Jesus Christ to help this young man. All right? We, would not, we wouldn't want to be unashamed about that. Uh, we believe that he is the only one that can heal and help and all of these things. But my point is this, is that the world, the world that we live in, the Christian, the, 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 the nation we live in, still sees a small glimpse of this. How, if the world around us can see just a small glimpse, how much greater should it be for us as believers? That's the point I think that just really drives home to me. How much greater should I be praying for the problems and troubles and anxieties that I'm having instead of worrying about them? And... He tells us, he says, when you do so, he says, then what can happen next is the and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God wants to give us peace. He wants to multiply our peace. But don't think it's all going to come at once. We're all just big square blocks of steel, and God is pounding on us, all right? He's trying to work out those worries and anxieties, and he's trying to get us to pray and supplicate for others and give thanksgiving to God and let our requests be known unto God. Is there a lot of things to be worried about? Sure there is. The Philippian church had a whole host of things to worry about. We all do. But that's no excuse to not obey the command of God. Let's not forget that it is a command of God. That we not be, that we be careful for nothing. That is a command of God. It's a soberness about it. And if we'll do so, then God promises us peace. Father, thank you for the word of God and we thank you for the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. We pray that, Father, that, Lord, we would have that peace in our hearts. And that, Lord, we would be able to have calmness and rest in our souls. For the glory of God and Jesus Christ. For only Jesus can give it to us. This wonderful, wonderful peace. Amen.